Hi, I'm Kyle. Um, I get to kind of serve along with a number of people here of whom you just met one. This is Whitney. Uh, Whitney is one of our elders. And, um, you know, this morning, just this seems to be thematic. I had the best of intentions to come here and with my computer to then upload a couple of images that are critical for an illustration. And so what I'm going to do is in the midst of this, I'm going to say, Kate, maybe, do you have the capacity to Google search this person named, wait for it, Edgar Mueller, and when I, uh, uh, one specific image, it's called the crevasse, crevice? Creva, I, crevasse sounds more like with some, some gravitas to it. Um, sorry, Kate, and you're, you're just a trooper. That was an aside. That was just a moment Kate and I were sharing. Thank you for being, uh, participating with it. Um, if you, uh, if you would, would you stand for the reading of God's word? This is not something that maybe you come from a tradition where this is commonplace, but this is simply a way for us to respond with our bodies to the living word of God. We trust that there's this, uh, we, we don't know the mystery by which it, it takes place, but by the personal presence of God or the spirit of God, something happens within our inner woman, our inner man, whereby new life can begin to take place or, or something that is dormant can be awakened. And so we respond with our, our bodies. We stand up as a small acts just to say that, Jesus, we want all of you. And so this is uh, God's word. I'm reading from Micah chapter 5, starting in verse 2. But you, Bethlehem Ephratah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely. For then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be our peace. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You can have a seat. So this past week, I was reading in the scriptures as, as you do, and I came across this pretty gnarly story in Numbers, and it's a story where all of a sudden the ground gives away beneath a group of people. And, and the narrator, the account of the story describes it, uh, the, the earth having swallowed up the people. This is a, a famous scene, Korah's Rebellion, and um, if you want to, you know, go check it out. But I've, I've seen enough kind of apocalyptic scenes in movies, read enough um, books that describe similar scenarios that I had a, a picture in my mind. And yet, I don't know, maybe it's the Christmas season or what it might be, uh, but I just, I, I was lingering on this. What would this look like for the ground literally to give way such that it would swallow up some people? And as I was thinking about this scene, I needed a little bit of help. And so, um, you know, it's 2021 and the internet is here. Uh, it's been here for a moment, but it's like we're still finding these new things. So, Kate, maybe this is where I, I then say, can we cue Edgar Mueller? So here we have this picture. Has anybody heard of Edgar Mueller before? Just by a show of hands. Great. I had no, we, oh, ben, we have one. Yes, Ben, I didn't know who he was. And then 
And then I found these pictures, and I watched his videos and interviews. So Edgar Mueller is a German artist. He's a German street artist. And he started off his career doing um, like hyper-realism pictures on the street, or he would do landscape uh, images. And yet he, he started to develop this theme of street art and would be commissioned by, I don't know, cities or just various competitions to do these types of works. And so this scene, uh, the crevasse, you could see there in the back of the image, it's a boardwalk. And if you stand in one particular location, it's as though the ground is literally giving way. And you can see how playful some of the images are. I mean, there's a small human just running down the center and you're like, is that a, is that a part of the work? No, that's a photo showing a child running in what looks like nothing. And it's so interesting because if you come at it from the other way, it just looks like a bunch of splotches of paint on the ground. There's nothing really compelling. But if there's a place where you position yourself, he has this fisheye lens that he looks at and it casts this scene and then they chart it out. You can go online after the teaching and, and watch them do this. But it's, it's remarkable. There's one where it's a, a city street and the ground legitimately is giving way into fire and flames and there's this like pillar of rock that a person's just standing on and it's, we have to ask this question, what's going on here? Like what's Mueller trying to do? Well, fortunately, he, um, he, he lets us know. This is how the artist describes these scenes himself. He says, beside personal messages and different layers of questions and sometimes even answers, I guess I'm mainly questioning the daily perception and experience of people by changing the appearance of public places. And that little, that little line right there, questioning daily perception. See, I got kind of deep into the rabbit hole of Edgar Mueller and that was the line that, that stuck out it's like in these everyday mundane spaces, he's inserting these works of art that are meant to jar you, to literally shake you. Could you imagine you're just commuting? This is your, this is your normal route to work. You're riding your bike and you're, I don't know, listening to a podcast. And then all of a sudden, this moment where you're like, oh, I'm imagining there's some people spilling off of their bikes in that moment. And uh, it's meant to wake you up. And just as a disclaimer, I have never stood on the edge of a crevasse, whether it's real or realistic like this. So I, I don't really know the experience that is like what, what like looking at over the edge of what is your impending death if you take one more step. But I think that, um, that I and you have experienced something quite similar. I, th I think we know in, in the core of our inner woman or inner man what this is like. To, to have our experience changed, to have our perception changed. And this is what Mueller and other artists like Mueller are doing. They're inviting us to change our perception. And you're thinking, well, okay, that's interesting, but I'm not often in galleries. <laughs> and so let's just think of a different type of uh, work of art. It's a, it's a dinner table. And just as a hypothetical scene, but let's say you're sitting around a table with a group of people who you love, but maybe you don't like all that much. It's the holidays, so this is possible. And there you are, and there's, you know, a, a constellations of friends and family and you. And in the midst of this conversation, there's a, a person there. It's the person um, who's, you know, sitting to your left, let's say. And in this moment, this is the type of person who likes to verbally process and they state their opinions as though they're gospel, like they're fact. Do any of you know this type of person? 
If you're thinking, I'm not sure, it's probably you. You are this person. You are the one who talks about something. And usually you, you're processing the things that are, I don't know, controversial. So you're, I don't know, you're talking about things like climate change, or you're talking about, I don't know, politics, or you're talking about meta, you know, the Facebook thing. And so then you're just like, you poke just a little bit just to see what somebody will do. And so let's say this hypothetical person in this hypothetical dinner scene does it. They say the thing. They get the audible gasp. And you're sitting in that moment. Um, let, let me just ask you, how, how do you feel? This is hypothetical, but I'm, I'm guessing you can map that little scene onto some experience, past or present or maybe future here in a couple of weeks. But, but how do you feel in that moment? Like, do you feel a sense of rigidity setting in do you feel all of a sudden you're a little warm in the chest? Maybe it's like you're perspiring like I am right now. It's just like you're like, oh, there's, there's something here. And so you're waiting for a pause in the conversation to give way so you then can give your response. Or maybe, maybe you're the type of person who's a little bit, um, if you're a guy, you're called direct. If you're a girl, you're called feisty, which is ridiculous. But you're the type of person who just like, you will not wait. You just give your response. Is this, is, this any, is this mapping on? I'm hoping this is a helpful illustration because right now I'm getting some of these. Okay, some head, these head nods are helpful. This is good. We're moving along. See, I, I, this is all hypothetical, but when we think about how we feel in that moment, when, what's happening? Well, I think this person, however offensive they may be with their direct and indirect speech, they're giving you an opportunity to change your perspective. Now, it may not be the invitation the way that you like it. The offering stands. And I set this scene in front, of, in front of us because I think that this is the motivation of our teaching text. It's an invitation to change our perspective. It's, it's an invitation to reimagine where we are, to, to re-examine the landscape around us and see that there's something more brilliant and beautiful than we could imagine. And this is what Advent does. Advent is meant to take us to the edge of the crevasse, to take us to the edge of what looks like nothingness and to jolt us awake. And year after year, practicing Christians come to this place to look with sobriety and anticipation of somehow this void of earth being closed back together so that people as they're making their way on their commute don't have to freak out on their bicycles, but rather they know that there's something sure ahead of them. This is what Advent is doing for us even now. And in this one passage, what's so br brilliant and beautiful about Micah is that he draws together all of these Advent themes that we've been working with so far. And this is kind of the, the, the sketch. There's, there's this laboring mother who awaits the child to be born. And just as a laboring mother awaits a child to be born, so too the people of God are to wait in the midst of, of, of an uncomfort, uncomfortable season. And then through that, that waiting, th though the waiting is intense, there's something that's holding us together because it's not as though we wait without hope, but rather as a community, we are held together in the loyal love of God. And then that, that all, like that secure and firm foundation of the loyal love of God is giving us a place to actually build up hope. Then in that place, we're not alone. There's actually a good shepherd who will care for us and lead us in the direction of peace. Do you see the, the love and hope and joy and peace? They're just dripping in this little collection of verses in Micah. 
And see, Micah, he, the, the mind behind our teaching text, Micah's like an ancient street artist. Micah's giving us an opportunity to, to reorient, to change our perspective. And through this medium of, of poetry, he's, he's inviting his audience, and I think by extension, you and me, to the very same thing, to, to see something new, to consider the world that we inhabit with a fresh perspective. So how does that sound this morning? You ready to do a little bit of this? We're gonna, we're gonna work our way through this and then we're gonna close with a place of like, how do we actually do this? So that's, that's where we're heading. If, if you leave, I'll, it's your message uh, non-verbally to me that you're not, you're not down. You're, you're like, I'm not, I don't wanna do this, Kyle. Uh, by the way, you can leave if you want to, I guess. Um, it's all invitation here, folks. No coercion, hopefully. Kate, maybe we'll call us out if there's any coercion going on. So I, I digress there, but this is what great art does. Like, I don't know if many of you look to your left and, um, and you look at those like vases, vases. We got, I don't know, vase sounds nice to me. And you're like, oh, wait, hold on. Is that a shirt? Is it a drawer? What's going on there? As you allow that picture to work on you, you're, you're drawn into a place where you're wondering what What's happening here? What am I to do with this? And hopefully that, that is the posture that we would have in this moment, that we would come to Mike and we'd say, what am I to do with this? Uh, but this is kind of hard. Like that dinner conversation, as <laughs> you're sitting there sweating a little about the uncomfortable things someone had, or as you're sitting here uncomfortable as I preach, it's a little bit hard to maybe receive a fresh perspective. So, so what do we do with this? Well, um, See, I, rem I remember sitting down to, uh, I was having a, a, mi a meeting with a person related to a ministry I was in a number of years ago, and I'm sitting, and as uh, church folk do, you meet in a coffee shop. It's like the neutral ground. So you're there, and I'm waiting for him to show up. I get my coffee, and he makes, a, he makes kind of a, a wry comment about the coffee itself, and it's like a third wave coffee shop, which that means um, it's kind of bougie, and um, people are a little bit uppity about the, the coffee and the origin whatever. So he, he makes a comment about the coffee. I just want some regular coffee. What do I need? So there we are sitting. The conversation is going great. And then there's a lull in the conversation. And he looks over my shoulder and he looks at a piece of art. Now this coffee shop would uh, be like a gallery space as well. So they'd feature local artists and they'd come in, they'd do shows and exhibits and stuff. And so in this lull in the conversation, he looks over my shoulder and he goes, that's art? <laughs> Look. <laughs> Yeah, I, su I suppose so. He said, a child could do that. Which is a really interesting remark. Um, you see, sometimes there's a, like a masterpiece in front of us and we just don't want to see it. Sometimes the invitation comes and we just don't want to receive it as such, so we just move past it. This is actually Micah's audience. Uh, Micah gives his audience a chance to reframe their perspective, but they think his art is rubbish. And it makes sense because Micah comes out kind of hot. He uh, starts out with some pretty intense judgment against the people. If you want, you can go back and read through Micah and you'll be like, oh my gosh, this is why some of my friends are leaving Christianity because we don't have a place to deal with intense language like this. And so let me just, uh, um, I raise that issue to address it briefly and then we'll come back to, to what Micah's doing here. You see, um, the church is the place where we get to wrestle with God's word. It's a, a beautiful place, a community to do this wrestling. And there's this vision of flourishing that the creator God wants his creatures, humanity to step into. And, in, and like we discussed last week, there's some vandalism of that. 
There's some, that people participate in. There's some tearing down of people who are, who represent the beauty of the creator God. And so you would expect if you had, I don't know, when you're a teenager, you imagine your room and it's kind of like your sacred space. You have your posters just where you want them. If you're like a 90s, I remember my sister's rooms, they had like in sync plastered everywhere. And had I gone in down, down in that space and I tore the posters down, they would be livid. See, we, we, I'm not, I'm kind of comparing us to NSYNC in this moment. I apologize for this. But we are, there's like these people who have come into God's sacred space, which is creation, and is just, are they're tearing it apart. Of course the creator is going to be frustrated. So then the people who are calling us back to a vision of restoration, they represent that frustration and even that anger. And so Micah comes in, and he, he comes in kind of hot on the, the people of Israel. It, and you see the people have inverted what is supposed to be the good of God represented. They're, they're taking political bribes and they're oppressing the people. The land is a gift given to the people. And all of a sudden the people who are to never be dispossessed from the land, the land is being stolen and sold out from under their feet. These are gross acts of injustice done by the people of God. And so you are right that God is furious about some of these things because it is the people who are already on the margins who are being pushed aside. These are the things that should get our hackles up. These are the things that should frustrate us because God intends to amend the injustice that is present in our world. That is not just the stuff out there, but the stuff in us. He wants to restore and renew even you and me. This is, I mean, this is why we get this famous verse from Micah. It's near the end of that, that this is God's heart posture toward creation. He wants to reestablish the people of God as the ones who act justly, who love mercy, that as they keep in step with it and they actually walk humbly with God. Is this making sense? Like Micah is giving an intense moment of confrontation. And here you are sitting at this dinner conversation, quite uncomfortable, <laughs> and Micah's not gonna, gonna let up. L listen again to our teaching text here. Hear how God, th this is not without hope. Hear how God will establish his people. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. See, so if you wanna know what this artist is trying to wake us up to, it's right here. It is that the so-called small and the insignificant and the unimportant, that is where the attention of God goes. If you wanna know, what's, what's the creator God thinking about right now? It's probably the small, insignificant and unimportant people and places. That is where, the, those are the people in places and circumstances that draw the adoration of the creator God, the small and insignificant and unimportant people and places. And so if we're going to, if we're going to like sit here and try and receive this type of invitation, we just have to like say, wow, um, <laughs> what, what is going on here? And this is, uh, this is kind of the core invitation of the scriptures. It's not that the saved go to the lost. It's that the humble appeal to the proud to actually reorient, to reimagine the perspective of their lives. Because that's where the divine, where the creator God is going. So re to receive this invitation, you might be feeling some tension. And that's the invitation. It's the invitation to God's upside down kingdom. 
And this is more beautiful and brilliant than you could ever imagine. And hopefully we see that here, that this is not anything new. In fact, this is God's MO from the beginning. There's, um, there's a story. You may, you may know it by this little jingle. Uh, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had. There it is, you got the jingle. Um, there's this guy named Abe and uh, the creator God joins up with Abe, Abraham. And what's curious is sometimes we hear about Abraham, but Abraham is this old person, like pretty much near the point of death. And his wife, Sarai, or Sarah, later on, um, is literally infertile. And it's to these no-named people that God says, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bless them. I'm gonna bless them. And the way that you bless a people who have no children in the ancient Near East is by giving them an heir, specifically a male heir. And so the creator God comes and he says, this is what I'm gonna do for you. I'm gonna actually make you a blessing so you'd bless all of the nations. This is what God does, that it's laughable. And in fact, when, um, when God appeals to Sarah to say, I'm gonna, you're, you're gonna be with child, she laughs. Why does she laugh? Um, well, if, if you're a woman who is aging, your, your body begins to change. My mom experienced this for circumstances outside of her control when I was in seventh grade and she was quite young still at that point and ended up having to have like a hysterectomy and, had, and, and, and thereby had no opportunities to bear children naturally if she chose to. That is likely Sarah. Like this is, re there's no way. So she laughs and the son is named Isaac, which in the Hebrew means he laughs. This is what God does. And if you're like, okay, that's interesting, but, but Abraham's like a male and the, you know, the Hebrew Bible is in a place of patriarchy and that's kind of the, or, the order of the system in the day. Well, let's talk about Rahab for a moment. She is a, a sex worker and it's through Rahab that the people of Israel are preserved and um, go and just read the genealogy of Jesus and you'll find some interesting people in there, women who do this. So God's orientation is toward the margins. The people of Israel have been oppressing those people and Micah's announcing justice and judgment, justice for the oppressed and judgment against the oppressor. And yet there will be one from Bethlehem, this small and insignificant place. This is what the creator God does but the people have forgotten it. And so we read this in verse three, therefore Israel will be abandoned which is a really sobering, sobering line. Israel will be abandoned and then read this until the time when she who is in labor bears a son and there would be like this, I'm imagining this collective just, <sighs> yes, until the time. And th th there gonna, there's gonna be pain and yet through pain there will come one who will bring peace. And I just, I, we have to note that this is odd because it's, it's odd and yet it's familiar. It's odd because in Micah's context, in the chapter right before, this woman who would bear a son is likely talking about Zion, uh, um, Jerusalem or the, the, the city of peace, the holy city. So it's likely that this is the reference, that Micah's talking about the, the one who would bear a son, the woman who would bear a son. But in Christmas, around Advent, when I say she will bear a son, who do you think of? Maybe Mary, the mother of Jesus? Is that what you were thinking? I was hoping you were thinking that. Otherwise, we would I'd be like, I thought I knew Christian culture or something, but apparently not. No, yes, this is who we're thinking of. 
And during the season of Advent, we're like, of course, that's, that's who it is. So it's, it's odd because, well, well, hold on, who's Mike is talking about? But it's familiar because we hear this. But I want neither the oddity nor the familiarity to distract us from what's, actually, like, what's being stated here. It's that there is something upside down taking place in this. Until the time, there's going to be abandonment, and yet there's going to be deliverance through the most unexpected of ways. This is just reiterating that the way that the, the creator of the cosmos works is this upside down way. And this is good news for all of us, but it's good news in different ways. See, if you are the type of person who is, because of your race, your ethnicity, or your gender, you are pushed to the margins, and in America or wherever you call home, uh, this is good news that the upside down economy of God is how it's going to play out. Like this is really good news if the last are first. This is actually some of the most beautiful news. But that doesn't mean that this is bad news for anybody else. I actually think that this is good news for all of us. For some it's good news because it's like a sigh of relief. For others of us of whom I'd count myself, this is good news because this is a moment to change our perspective. This is a moment to repent. This is a moment to name the places that we've been complicit with patterns of sin and ways that have like oppressed people. This is what the prophet does to us. And now I know that maybe this doesn't elicit Christmas cheer or something like this, but this is the story of the scriptures. This is actually the, the Advent text. I and you, all of us in this moment, along with practicing Christians the world over, are coming to Micah today to remind ourselves that this is how the Creator works. In other words, Micah is an invitation to change our perception. And so now we get to how. How are we actually going to participate in that change? Um, this is where we get to queue up the gospel according to Luke. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip or tap your way on over to the gospel according to Luke. Um, this is Luke chapter 1. We're going to pick up in verse 39. And I'm going to read this uh, first passage here, Luke 39 to 45. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. Remember, we're remembering what might it look like to receive the invitation. Verse 40, Mary entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby in her womb leaped. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. If you don't know the story, here's a little recap. Um, Mary has recently, this is Mary, the mother of Jesus, has recently um, had a visitor from a heavenly messenger, what we would know as an angel. And so this messenger comes to Mary and makes this announcement and Mary with humility and poise and courage, this teenage girl receives the message. It's just startling that she will give birth to the son of God. And in the wake of this, she rushes off to meet with Elizabeth. 
And so there they are in the hill country. And let me just ask, who are these women? Like, you just think about it. Do you know they're like, who Mary's dad is? Is there a lot of information that we have about them? No. What's up with that? Well, think about how God works. What's God's MO? How, how does, he, he goes toward the least, he goes towards the simple, the unimportant, and it's there where then those people are lifted up and drawn to the center to show the goodness of God. And so here in Luke, in a time and space where women's testimony doesn't really count for much of anything, two women are carrying the weight of the whole gospel. Come on. This is the brilliance of the Christmas story in these words, in this conversation. It's so interesting that when Luke composes the biography of Jesus's life and ministry, that it's two women who are on the forefront and then on the back end of the whole gospel, there they are again. Just let that help you reimagine. This is all helping us to resituate and go, what is, what is this story all about? Maybe, maybe I do have more of a role in this kingdom of God thing. Maybe there is a place for my voice in this community. Do you notice uh, what, what type of, uh, how does Elizabeth talk? I'll read it to us. This is verse 42. In a loud voice. Um, I'll tell another story about my mom, but my mom has been known as the type of gal who is uh, loud. And for most of my, my life, that has, uh, I, as she would talk about it, it was like an insult. And it's been in the Christian tradition that I've actually found that that is not an insult. That is like a complisult. See, in, in the culture around us, they, they would see that a, a loud, that's out of place. But the scriptures give not just warrant, but full permission to speak in these ways. This is brilliant. And I, don't forgive my, like, join me in my excitement about this because this is the, okay, pump the brakes. Verse 42, in a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women. And pick up the language here. Blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. It's like John the Baptist there in the womb of Elizabeth is pronouncing the way for the Lord before he's even on the scene. It's fantastic. And then this last line, verse 45, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. I'm just wondering if there's some of us in the room today that um, would do well to hear, to hear this, that there are promises that have been fulfilled to Mary and as they were fulfilled to her, that as she would bear the son of the living God, that the promises that the creator God makes over his creation are true and that we can actually place our whole trust in them. And when Mary is, has this declared over her, you notice that language that Elizabeth uses, she, she calls her blessed. And she uses a, a normal word for blessing and then she shifts it up in verse 45. If you care, the Greek, it's this it's language of makarios. And if you're familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, this is Jesus's most famous teaching. We're gonna spend a lot of time in it in 2022. Um, the Beatitudes are the, on the front end of that sermon. And, and you could literally translate makarios as happy is the one. That's the language that Elizabeth uses with Mary. Happy is the one who has trusted or believed that the creator God would fulfill his promises to her. 
This is, this is the beauty of it. And, and to capture this, I want us to hear how Mary responds. And so um, it would be ill-fitting if I said this, so faith is gonna help us maybe hear this. And I would just invite you into this. Maybe this is uncomfortable, um, but um, if you could just close your eyes and allow these, these words to, to wash over you. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Amen. See, this is no doubt a young woman who has her whole mind saturated in the Hebrew Bible. Like these are the stories. Listen to that last line. To Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised. See, the, the Advent story is meant to bring us to the edge of the crevasse, to, to wake us up and to wake us up to what? To the promises of God. I mean, this is... I think more often than I'd care to admit, I, I get to have conversations with folks for whom the promises have lost their luster that maybe they just seem, I don't know, quaint and antiquated or maybe, maybe even kind of sophomoric. Like, yeah, yeah, the, the, those people back then believed those things, but we've, we've, we've advanced quite far today. So I don't actually need these types of myths to live a fulfilling life today. Mary would say something different. And I think that her words invite us to, into a place, but and doesn't this sound beautiful? I mean, come on. So why is it so difficult to step into a new perspective? Why are we so fixed in the way that we've always been? And I know this is like a general statement that some of us love chasing down the rabbits, down the trail, etc. But, but on the whole, I think we all feel this. We all feel this rigidity welling up in us when a new perspective is offered, if it, if it even infringes upon ours just a little bit. And I, I, um, I don't really know why that's the case. Um, but I, I like the way that Fleming Rutledge captured it. She's a, uh, an Episcopal priest, and she is maybe one of the most brilliant preachers. She says it this way, whether it be fear or whether it be numbness, sentimentality is preferred to truth. And the most that we really want to know about Christmas is that a pretty girl had a beautiful baby and a nice light shone around them. That's funny, by the way. None of us wants to mess up the Christmas spirit with thoughts of poverty and disease and war and death. A week or so of mindless fluff land 
is exactly what the doctor ordered. Let's pretend that this baby in the straw really is our ticket to innocence in no way particularly. See, why is it so difficult to look at the wonder of the Christmas story? I think it it might be that same spirit that looks at a piece of art and says, how is that art? A child could do that. And it's that same spirit that reads a passage about the ground giving way and says, I would never, I would never give my allegiance to a God who would do that to people. And in both cases, we set ourselves up as the judge, as the arbiter of what is good and what is bad. See, this new and this invitation to you and to me is to actually relinquish the illusion of control, the the, the illusion that we know what is truly good and what is truly evil. Is this easy? No. Is this possible? Yeah. But it's actually not possible by yourself. You need the spirit of the living God and you need one another. Just take a moment and look to your left and look to your right. Let this be awkward. Okay, now, um, now if you're sitting in the very front, just look up and pull your mask down for a second. You don't have to breathe. Hold your breath or something if that's uncomfortable and just look to the person. Like these are the people. These are the ones who God has drawn with God's love This is where this upside down kingdom gets to break loose as we're able to receive it. And so this is what we'll do. We're we're gonna try to respond and worship through songs. I just invite you to stand with me. We're we're gonna try to remember, and this is is what's so beautiful about, and what is compelling to me about um, practicing the way of Jesus or trying to enter into an ongoing relationship with Jesus is that every week I get to reorient my life. (laughs) Like, Like, you know, there's these suckers out here who are like, okay, new year, new me. I'm like, it's Sunday, baby, let's go. Like, I get to reorient my whole life around the living word. And that's just not because I'm a preacher. It's because I'm a follower of Jesus. This is the beauty. And so what what do we do then? Well, we take the bread and we take the cup. We take the bread and the cup to remember that, that the living God was so compelled to move toward the margins that that God put on flesh in Jesus of Nazareth. And God was so compelled to, to, to continue to move towards the margins that when hanging on a Roman execution rack, he would not kill his enemies, but die for them. This is the way that the gospel takes root. See, the gospel is not just a what, it's a who. Like it actually gets to shape and form us and transform us. And so what I'm gonna do is, there's nothing magical or mystical, well, maybe a little bit of both um, that takes place in the bread and the cup. So I just wanna invite you, when you're ready to take the bread, the body broken for you, and to take the blood, poured out for you as the forgiveness of sins, this marker of new life in Jesus. And maybe you're saying, I, I actually, I've been coming to this thing called church for a long, long time, but I, I feel numb. I feel like there is, like, I don't even want to look at the work of art because I don't want my heart to be stirred in some way. Like, I just want to stay where I am in this, whatever this thing is. And it's a, I would just say there's, it, it's okay to be there. It's not okay to stay there. And so whether it's not this week, 
just know that faithfully, as we are able to gather, we will be inviting one another to this reality, to take the body broken for us, the blood poured out for us, because this is the place of restoration. This is where it breaks down. It didn't just happen then, it's happening now. And so church, over these next couple songs, I just invite you to remember. Um, so let us continue to worship. <laughs>